This morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. So if you would open your Bibles there. Our message is going to come from this text uh, again, as it did last week. And particularly, it's going to come from one word in the text, uh, more pointedly, as it was last week. We'll be making references to many other scriptures this morning. Um, I have in the outline in your worship folder, sometimes I get ahead and am able to do that, but it's pretty rare. I have a list of some of the text references in there. Uh, I will certainly not probably refer, <laughs> make reference to every text that I've listed there, and I will probably make references to texts that you don't see there. <laughs> but... Um, for the most part, the, the gist of where we're going to go are listed in there for your reading afterwards or uh, during the week this week. Uh, so this, as our normal way of, of uh, gathering together under God's word is that we are, our normal mode is ex exposing or expositional preaching, exposing the word of God to God's people. And uh, systematically, uh, through uh, verse and chapter and book, um, I wanted to take, as the Lord has convinced me, that our way forward um, in uh, our time is to go back to the essentials of the Christian faith, the essentials of the church, and in particular, what the Spirit born believer uh, initially gave their devotion, their effort, their energy, and their strength to. And I think it is pertinent for us as a church to go back and look at those things once again. So that's the reason for examining um, Acts 2.42 so closely. And you wouldn't think, but I was talking with Caleb about this this morning, you wouldn't think that you could take one word and take four different words from this passage and preach four messages, but I have plenty of things uh, from the Word of God that came from these um, words this morning. So um, let us read Acts 2.42 together, and then we will pray once again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Father, we praise you for your word. We need your enabling grace this morning to be more than doers, more than hearers, but, but doers. We need your grace to be doers of your word, Lord. We ask that we come to a biblical understanding of community this morning. We come to an understanding of our responsibility and the purpose of the church especially the purpose of the church that particularly meets here as Spring Hill. We ask in Jesus' name for the power of the enabling Holy Spirit of God. Amen. So I have a passion, a deep passion for the church as a whole. Why? Well, in the aggregate, in the, in the universal sense, my passion for the church, the ecclesia, is because Jesus Christ died for her in the most simple statement. But I have an even deeper passion for the church that gathers here. And the reason why is because I love you, each of you, 
We have been in relationship together for quite some time. We have shared uh, pain and heartache together. We've shared good times. We've shared bad times. We have sinned against one another. We have recovered from that sin with one another at times. And so I have a passion for the church. And that is another reason why I want us to really dig in to what the Bible teaches us about how we are to be in relationship with one another as a local church, as a particular body that meets together. So first I want to say this, is that to be a faithful witness of Jesus Christ, we saw last week, we must do so in orthodoxy, which is a big fancy word to say right doctrine. As we saw last week, that the church that was born of the Spirit, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And, and particularly what the apostles taught was that the Scriptures all pointed to Jesus Christ as the atoning death for sin, right? So the gospel itself was primary. And so we must do so to be a faithful witness, as we saw in chapter 1 of uh, of. Acts, we saw that to be a faithful witness, we defined what to be a witness was, and it is to tell the truth about Jesus. That is the aim of the church as individuals and then corporately to tell the truth about Jesus. But we need to understand we must do so in right doctrine, right? In orthodoxy. We must adhere to the clear teaching of Scripture concerning God's Christ. We must adhere to the Scripture, the clear teaching of Scripture as it pertains to how salvation works. And this morning we're going to see that in order to be a witness of the truth in right doctrine, in orthodoxy, that it is coupled in the life of the believer in right practice or orthopraxy. Each individual Christian testifies to the truth by their communication and proclamation of the truth, but that also is manifest in reality as we practice the truth, right? In right practice. The practice of truth individually, rightly done, is always, this is always, and for every individual, done in the context of the community of faith. The right practice, the right individual practice of a Christian, of an individual Christian, is always done in the context of a community of faith, namely a local church. I'm sure that you have friends, as I do, who have said they don't need to congregate with a church to faithfully practice their Christian faith. I would dare you and, and, and admonish you or encourage you to say to those individuals, those friends of yours, you are ignoring the Scriptures. You are absolutely ignoring the Scriptures. What you're saying is absolutely not true. It is, it is a lie that the enemy has convinced you of somehow. That the right individual practice of a Christian is always, every time, in every case, 
done in the community of faith, in the context of a congregation, of a local congregation. So I'm going to ask you a few questions this morning to ponder as we dig deep into this, is how would you personally define what Christian fellowship is? When does biblical fellowship actually take place? Is it a pleasant greeting when we gather with each other on the Lord's Day? Is it uh, the second, is it, is it just a, a pleasant greeting? Is it a fond farewell? Is it, is it nice feelings about one another? In this second part of our look at the Holy Spirit-born Church of Jesus Christ, we're going to look again at the Christian church as those who have been empowered witnesses to tell the truth of Jesus, and the Spirit-born believer and the church member has been transformed. He has become, he or she has become narrow-hearted and single-mindedly devoted. As we talked about, devotion is, is, the, is the first word and the first key in this passage. By way of reminder, the Greek word translated devoted, steadfastly, or committed, depending on your version of the text, is proskiterio, which is to attend to with all the exercise faculties and human energy to do so constantly, diligently, and instantly toward that one thing. All of our energy. Last week, we saw that the first church was proskiterio, or single-mindedly devoted to the apostles' doctrine, Individual Christians born again to a local community of faith live in the world according to the Spirit for the purpose of testifying to the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ and specifically as the Word of God has delivered it uh, to them individually and as this doctrine, this, this doctrine that we hold to is that the clear teaching of Scripture is centered on the atoning death of Jesus Christ specifically for sinners that satisfied and propitiated the wrath of God against unrighteous men of whom we all were once. That's our testimony, right? And the Spirit-empowered grace of God has led sinful men and women like you and me to repent and believe the gospel. This is the truth that they received, and this is the truth that they remained devoted to understanding and devoted to uh, communicating both verbally and also in the way in which they related to one another. And so, as Holy Spirit-born trophies of grace, that is what we are. We are Holy Spirit-born trophies of God's grace, aren't we? I ask this, will we be a church that is known for our instantaneous and constant devotion to the truth of the grace of God in Christ Jesus? I posed that last week, I'm posing it again. Will we become and be a church, a community of believers who are constantly devoted to the truth of the grace of God and Jesus Christ? Will, be, will we be a community of believers where the word of God does this amongst us? Where it reverberates or echoes from this room to the world around us. Where the word of God just echoes from us. It echoes from our lives, it echoes from our words, it echoes from our actions, it echoes from our relationships, that the Word of God and the truth about Jesus Christ and, and God's grace towards us in Him reverberates to the whole world. Now think about that. Is that not the purpose of the church? Right? That's the purpose of the church. 
is that the Word of God, the truth about Jesus Christ, would reverberate to every factor of our lives and to the world around us, both in word and in deed, right? That it would do that. That is the purpose of the church. Well, this morning, as we uh, look again at this aspect of how the spirit-born individual and the local church becomes instantaneous and constantly using all of its energy to tell the truth of the grace of God and Jesus Christ. That is, it is done in the context of community in practice, right? Not only do we just receive the word, believe the word, say the word, echo the word, we live the word, but it is as a witness to the truth of what the Spirit has done in us through Jesus Christ. It is done in practice together in a community that we are devoted to that as a community. So as we look at Acts 2.42, we see the spirit-born believers were devoted to the second section, the second word, fellowship. The Greek word in our text for fellowship is koinonia. The spirit-born believer in Jesus Christ has been born again to a proskiterio, an instantaneous constant attending to koinonia, defined as to Partake of, participate in, partner with, and distribute the grace of God in Christ Jesus with others who have been united to Christ. I want to repeat that. Defined as part of this is the, is the, uh, Quinonia Greek definition of the word and, and, and part of it is me putting in it into the context of how we live that out. So it is defined as to partake of, to participate with, to partner in and distribute the grace of God in Christ Jesus with others who have been united in Christ. So first I would say this, that Queen Aenea is first a union with Christ. Queen Aenea cannot happen and does not happen in a community unless the members of that community are first have koinonia or fellowship and union with Jesus Christ himself. True koinonia is first a union with Christ. Christian fellowship is first fellowship with Christ himself. What I'd like you to do now is turn with me to the epistle of 1 John chapter 1. You're going to find that if you go to Revelation and take a left uh, a little bit, you'll find it there near the end of the Bible, so it might be easier to get there pretty quickly. Um, so we're going to look at, uh, at 1 John, and I want to read the first uh, seven verses of chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. 
This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Notice in verse 3, that which we testify to, right doctrine, we ourselves have received, namely, union with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, koinonia, fellowship. We have become partakers of God's grace in Jesus Christ. We are participants in God's grace in uniting us to Himself. And then notice this, that even in that verse it says that we have become distributors and proclaimers of grace in Jesus Christ. Notice further down, let us look at verses 6 and 7 again. If we say we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Our proclamation of our union, of our fellowship in Christ, is a lie if it is not practiced in union with others who are also united in Christ. If we say that we have union in Christ and not walk in it in fellowship, in, a, in true fellowship, in a local congregation, if we want to do this separately, we tell a lie. It is a lie, right? It is a lie that we tell. If it's not practiced in union with others who are also united to Christ. Now, you know this, you can attend church every week and you can do so with religious fervor. You can enjoy the benefits of community with believers and never once have fellowship and never have true Christian fellowship. Because if you are not in union with Christ, you may have Christian friends whom you hang out and sing the words uh, of songs together. You may have Christian friends who you join with and hang out with and you like them on a particular Sunday, but you do not have koinonia. You have never had Christian fellowship if you are not united with Christ. You may receive benevolent grace from God by hanging out with Christian people on a Sunday morning because God is gracious to the evil as well as the good. He makes it rain on the good as well as the bad, doesn't He? You may experience benevolent grace of God that God affords to yet all people and yet never been a partaker of grace, never being a partner of grace, never really being a participant in grace. Because the grace of God that is saving is only in union with Christ. God gives us grace when we don't deserve it, doesn't He? But saving grace is in union with Jesus Christ. Therefore, union with Christ, fellowship with Christ, is a prerequisite for true koinonia in the church. It is a prerequisite. We must be in Christ to have fellowship to have true fellowship 
one with another. The local church is a community united to Christ, constantly and instantly attending to, instantly attending to partake, instantly intending to uh, participate, to partner, and intentionally distribute the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We do that with each other, with those who are union in union with Christ, but we also distribute the grace of God in Christ Jesus to those who are around us who might not be believers who hear that. The local church is a community bound to each other. We're bound to each other individually, and we are united in Christ. And why? We are united in Christ as a testimony, as a witness to tell the truth about Jesus, not just in word, but in practice. By her right practice, the church, rightly practicing, right doctrine, we display to each other and to the watching world that the grace of God found in the atoning death and life-giving resurrection of Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God alone is real and true and the only reality that there is in the world. We testify to that reality as we practice that together in true koinonia fellowship. It is a benefit to the non-believer who gathers that we rightly practice koinonia in Christ, that we rightly have fellowship with him and fellowship with one another. Mark Deaver writes this, that the local church is the conduit through which the benefits of Christ's atoning death and resurrection normally come. So as we gather as a local church, the benefits of Christ's death are on display, aren't they? They're on display with, with how we relate to one another, how we are in fellowship with one another. Ephesians 3, verses 6 through 10 says this, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And listen to this. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities, where? In the heavenly places. Through the church, rightly practicing right doctrine and fellowship with Christ as partakers of His grace, distributing grace in koinonia with one another, reveals the mystery of the gospel and the wisdom of God in heavenly places. Well, how much more does right doctrine practiced in fellowship with believers reveal the mystery of the gospel to the unregenerate that are gathered among us? How much more does it reveal that truth to the world around us watching? In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, Paul explains the relationship between right doctrine, the truth, and the, and the local church's godly living in a community. He, he explains the relationship between right doctrine and right practice. He tells Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, and listen to this, the church of the living God has a responsibility here, as a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. This is what we do when we have true koinonia together. This is what we confess, not just in word, but in action and how we live with each other. We confess this, that he was manifest in the flesh, 
vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. We tell the truth about the gospel in word and in practice as we gather together as a church. So now, you might be asking this question, and this is where I got to when I uh, uh, got to this point in my study, and you're probably at this point right now this morning. Practically speaking, though, what does koinonia, the fellowship of the believers, look like? What does the right practice of right doctrine look like in the context of a local church? Well, again, I go back to the first word that was prevalent in Acts chapter 2, devotion. First, it looks like devotion. It looks like constantly and instantly attending the gathering together as an assembled body of people. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, in the early church in Acts, the believers gathered every day, day to day, house to house, having these uh, actions that they're talking about here, you know, uh, the sound doctrine, to committed to fellowship, committed to the breaking of bread, committed to prayer. They did this day in and day out, day to day in the other church. But they certainly gathered specifically for the whole body of the church on the first day of the week, on the Lord's Day. The gathering on the Lord's Day is the habit, it is the routine of those in fellowship, those in union with Christ. In other words, the gathering is meant to be assiduously attended to by matter of habit. It is just the pattern of life for the believer. It's the pattern. There's like to be, I almost wonder, like there's like no question. It's like a thing you don't question. I wake up on Sunday morning, what am I supposed to do today? Well, the habit and the pattern of one who's been born of the Spirit is, I am to, in union with Christ, have union with my brothers and sisters this morning. That's that's the habit and the pattern of life. And we don't do so out of obligation. We do so out of who it is that we have become by the Spirit's power and Christ's atoning death for us. It's just who you are. It's by virtue of the reality of what the Spirit has born in you. Right? In other words, it's like this individual Christians, as we gather, we assemble on the Lord's Day, and we do that because that is our nature. That is our new nature. It is who you are. Notice in verse 24 of Hebrews 10 what Koinonia, true fellowship, looks like among the local assembly. In chapter 10, verse 24, it says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So there's the first kind of practical thing to think about. That fellowship is more than a handshake and a hug and a warm greeting and a fond farewell and an exchange of pleasantries, isn't it? It is a stirring up in love right practices. It's a stirring up. It is a stirring up of reminders to live in a way 
that is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. It is a stirring up and a reminder that we are to live in a way that reveals the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ to each other, to the unregenerate among us, and to the watching world around us. Cranonia Fellowship can be summed up primarily in this phrase. There are a hundred, a hundred references to one another in the New Testament alone. A hundred references to one another's, to how we relate to one another in fellowship with one another. That's given to us in the Scriptures, a hundred of them, that speaks of this one anothering. And you know, it was really important to the one who saved us. One anothering was very important to Jesus Christ. And one anothering is very important to the furtherance of the gospel. Jesus' words in John 13, 35 said that by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People will know the truth about me. They will know the truth about me, Jesus would say, as you display my love toward you in displaying it towards others in the community of faith together. And the point of the gathering together, as we saw in Hebrews 10.24, is another one another, isn't it? To stir up one another in love and good works. Koinonia is further described in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Distributing love of God in Christ Jesus to one another. Constantly and instantly giving effort to attend to the honor of your brothers and sisters above yourself. Those who have been united with Christ by the grace of God in the gospel. The command to love one another, to have genuine quenania, is this. Caleb and I sort of talked about this this morning in a roundabout way. I don't know where we, how we got there, but to have genuine quenania, it is not sloppy. It's not being sloppy in grace. It's not being lazy. It's not being indulgent. It is honest and rightly practicing right doctrine. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So you speak the truth to one another because we love one another, because we are united in Christ with one another, so we don't sloppily allow self-indulgent sin, right? We work together to eradicate sin in our own lives and to help our brothers and sisters eradicate sin in their lives. That's koinonia. That's fellowship. That is the fellowship of believers. Loving one another well is, is concerned with each individual's growth and maturity, isn't it? If you love each other well, you are, you are hoping, praying, encouraging one another to become the fullness of who Jesus Christ has created that person to be. Outdo one another in doing good, right? Outdo one another in showing honor to your brother 
Quinonia, the fellowship of believers, is grounded in the communication of truth, isn't it? I think that's what Paul says here in Ephesians 4.15. That true fellowship is grounded primarily in the truth. We speak the truth in love. Quinonia is a community rightly practicing right doctrine, bearing witness to the truth of the grace of God found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as such, it brings unity. As such, it brings unity. When you look up the uh, hundred verses uh, about one another's, you will see three major themes in all of the one another's. The one another's first talk about unity. So the one another's bring unity. The one another's of the scriptures communicate love. But thirdly, the thing that you wouldn't think about maybe is that the one another's point us to humility. It's about humble believers who understand that by the grace of God go I. If it were not for the grace of God, I'd be undone. It's taking that humble position with our brothers and sisters and encouraging them in love. Does it not bring unity if we're honest? If we're honest about our struggles with sin, if we're honest about our dependence upon grace, we look at each other and we hear each other's stories and we say, brother, sister, I get it. I too am dependent upon the grace of God or I'd be undone. I too am, am like you and have been like you and have been in your position. I may not be a particular participant in the uh, sin that you are struggling with today, but I am humble enough to say that there's none of those sins that might escape me and that I might sin differently than you today and have a struggle that maybe you can help me with as you have walked in that truth, right? That's, that's true community. That's real uh, Christian fellowship. Mark 9.50 says, Be at peace with one another. John 6.43 says, Don't grumble against one another. Romans 12.6 says, Be of the same mind with one another. You see, the unregenerate world is watching. The unregenerate who gather together with us, because no matter what congregation you're in, there are those who have not yet been united with Christ. They are watching. They are watching, and, and how we relate, those who are united with Christ, is a testimony to the reality of Jesus, right? As well as our, our words. Are we rightly practicing right doctrine in the body of believers who are united in Christ? Are we rightly testifying to Jesus Christ through genuine fellowship, through koinonia? So I ask us this morning, as we close, to think about these things. Will we, will you be proscatario, devoted, instantly and constantly attending to koinonia? Will you constantly be a partaker of, a participant with, a partner in, a distributor of the grace of God in Christ Jesus with others who have been united in Christ? Will that become your habit if it's not already? Some of you, it is your habit. I know you well enough to know that that is the habit of your life. That is the pattern. But for those of you who it's not, will it become the pattern of your life? 
I am in union with Christ. I am a partaker and a receiver of grace. And I am to participate in grace and partner in grace with others who have been united with Christ. And I am to be a distributor of the grace of God in Christ Jesus to them. I am to be a receiver of God's grace through them to me. Or will we do this? Will you come and warm a seat, sing a song, exchange pleasantries, and have no intention of practicing the truth in community. If you have no intention of practicing the truth in community, I will ask you this this morning. Are you united with Christ? Now, of course, there are providential things that prevent us from gathering. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about the willful disobedience that a lot of us have practiced at times. The willful disobedience to ignore the pattern of life that the Holy Spirit has wrought in you. Well, I would say this too. If, if you have no intention of practicing the truth, you got to ask yourselves if you are united in Jesus. You got you to first ask that question. But I will tell you this, that if you answered that question in the negative, is that I have not had intention. I don't feel today like I might be united in Christ. Or I feel like I have been united in Christ and I have uh, been disobedient. Today, if you repent of your religiosity, which is really what it is to come and warm a seat and not do koinonia, right? Not have true fellowship. If you repent of your religiosity and you receive the truth of Jesus Christ's death for your sin, the Holy Spirit of God is making you new. And He is giving you power to receive and to believe the truth. Power to be a witness to that truth. And power to be a partaker and a participant in and a partner with and a distributor of that truth. So I asked this morning, will you believe the truth? And then I ask us as a whole, as a congregation, will you bear witness to the truth both in word and in practice in this congregation, in this local church?